What a beautiful time of worship, right? Thank you, guys. Thank you so much. Thank you. My wife and I lost a dear friend this week out of nowhere. Uh, he passed away, and, and uh, so when we sing songs about the resurrection, it's pretty deep for us today, uh, and how grateful we are for a God who saves, a God who loves us enough to give his life for us so that we might know him here and in heaven, amen? So that, that worship took us to a deep place this morning. Good morning. I'm bummed. Can I be honest with you? I'm bummed this morning because the weather is perfect. So like on um, when it was Wednesday or Thursday, Daryl and I and our team were trying to figure out what we needed to do because if you'll remember, Wednesday and Thursday was freezing cold and rainy. And uh, so we're, we're feeling freezy, freezing and cold weather and the uh, outlook for today at 1030 was 42 degrees with 22 mile an hour wind gusts. That's what it said. And so we're like, I guess we have to call it and go inside. Ugh, Arkansas got us again. False fall, we call it. And uh, anyway, it's gonna be, it's a beautiful day. Uh, and we're, we're glad to be in here. We're glad that God has given us a, a beautiful place to worship. And we're gonna get to compromise a little bit today. So we have a wonderful lunch planned. I hope you can stay. Uh, and if you wanna be inside to eat, you can. But if you brought some lawn chairs or if you wanna grab a chair and take it outside, whatever, there's gonna be people doing a little bit of both. So just feel free to fellowship with one another and enjoy uh, that food together. It's gonna be really good. Hey, listen, I'm, I'm kind of sad also that we're ending, ending our series called Church Defined. I don't know if it's been uh, as big a blessing to you as it has been to me, but I have just uh, so enjoyed looking through the values of this beautiful community in Acts 2. It's been so interesting to me just to really dig in deep to all these specifics that we see in the church in Acts 2 in Jerusalem. And what a beautiful community. I, I'm not sure what you would add to make it better. And so it's been such an interesting thing for us to consider, Lord, are these things that are in our lives, are these values that we see? And if not, how can we grow to become the church like that church? How can we grow to become a church that, that embodies all of these things that honor you, that, that, that love you. You know, the reality is this series and this text of Scripture, Acts 2.42 through, 240, uh, through 47, is about relationships, really. It's about our relationship with God, how he saves us and changes us, right? It's, it's our connection to him, but it's also about our connection to one another. How do we walk life together? Are we sensitive to one another? Are we encouraging one another? Are we sharing life together? But today we're also gonna see that it's also about a connection to the world. How do we relate to the world? How do they see us? And can I say, there's never been more of a time for Christians to be different than the world, than right now. The world needs to see people who are pleasant, who are winsome, who are loving, who are serving, who are weird. Because that's not the world we see. So when we serve and when we love, uh, that's weird in, in many ways to this world. And we're gonna get into that. I'm preaching later down in the message already. But uh, that's what the world needs right now. And I pray that even as we relate to God and each other, we'll also see a value to relating to those in the world. Look in your, in your text with me, if you will. Acts 2, 42 through 47. Uh, we haven't done this yet, and I'd like to do this. Can we read this together for our last time to, to read through this, at least in this series? We're gonna be looking at this scripture as long as I'm alive, I think. But uh, can we read it together as, as a family? Here we go. Let's read this together. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Let's pray. 
Lord Jesus, thank you for this text of Scripture. What a beautiful picture of your church. What a beautiful example of what we can be, of what we can experience, of how we can learn, of how we can be the people you've called us to be. What a beautiful picture, God. Lord, I believe that you inspired Luke to put this historical account of the early church after Pentecost in his letter, not only for Theophilus, but for us today. God, so that we can get a sense of what your people were doing, what it looked like, God, just uh, even as a blueprint for what the church can be. But Lord, the church is not just some large organization. It is organic in nature. It is a bunch of individuals who've made a decision to be these things. So uh, may we as individuals, may we as families incorporate these values in our lives. And when we do, we will become this kind of church, this kind of New Testament, God-honoring, loving community where you add people who need to know you. God, I pray with all my heart that your spirit is, is, will just move in this place. Lord, you're already, you're already here, you're already with us. You said we're two or three are gathered, you're in our midst. And I believe your spirit is already strong in this place this morning. So continue to minister to us, Lord, through your word. Challenge us, God, with the things that we need to change and give us the courage to change them. And Lord, may I decrease so that you may increase in this time by the power of your word. Meet us here, God. Do something in this time greater than, than a service, greater than a message. May, may you, Lord, the holy God of the universe, interrupt our lives today so that we sense your presence and you move us to be something different than we are, to be more like Jesus. We pray it in your precious son's name. Amen. Amen. Well, we've talked about all these different um, aspects, these values, if you will, and I know I've mentioned them kind of in detail. There's a reason for that. It's because I want us to recognize them. Uh, you can read the scripture. We just read it. We went over it. But I want to, again, break them down for us so that we're thinking about them. As we think about them, I want you to think about you. Am I devoted to the word? Am I devoted to these things? Is this going on in my life? Okay, so let's look at these again. What are the specifics of the values of this early church? They were devoted to God's word, right? It was a value to them. And here's a little commercial, by the way. Starting next Sunday, we're going to go into a five-week series about valuing the word of God. What does it mean to us? What does the word of God mean to us? Is it important? Is it just another book? Because if it is truly God's word, his spoken word, his revelation from a holy God to us, then there's something we need to do with that. We need to value it with all of our lives. We need to live by it. We need to understand it. And so I'm excited about this new series called Grounded we're going to go into next week as we learn to be devoted to God's word. They were devoted to one another in fellowship. They shared life together. They broke bread together. They remembered the gospel and communion, the Lord's Supper. They were devoted to, to connection to God and praying for one another. They were devoted to prayer. They were also, uh, there's a sense it says that they, everyone was filled with awe. You know, I was just thinking about this. Did you know I don't think it's possible to worship unless you have some sense of awe? Unless you come to the, the Lord with some sense of how great you are, how wonderful you are, how can we worship otherwise? They lived with mystery. They lived in the presence and the power of a holy God. There was also this beauty of unity in the church. The people were together, right? the believers were together. They also had incredible sensitivity to needs in the church. Acts 4 said there wasn't one person in the church who had a need. Can you imagine? Not even one. Because they were sensitive to one another. There was sacrificial generosity. They cared for one another and they showed that with their lives. There was connectedness. Day by day, they were connected to one another. They worshiped in the temple. They worshiped in their homes. There was a large group gathering. There was a small group gathering. They were devoted to those things. They were, in fact, they were faithful day after day together that way. And that caused a gratefulness. Here we're getting November 1st. Can you believe it's November 1st? It's crazy. That we're entering this Thanksgiving season. 
Many of you start thinking about pumpkin pie. That one right there starts thinking about pumpkin pie. Uh, you start thinking about what's going what's to be on the menu, right, at Thanksgiving. That's not that bad of a thing. But hopefully we also have a sense of gratefulness, how thankful we are for how good God is and what He's given us, because everything we have has been given to us by a good Father, right? So we're entering this, sense, uh, this season of gratefulness. That's what they had. It's a result of this devotion. It's a result of this unity. It's a result of this sacrificial generosity. They were filled with glad and generous hearts. It's beautiful. So they were grateful and they were glad. And then today we're going to realize that in order for us to be a people of God, just as they were, then we're going to have to be a people of praise, a people with favor, and a people on mission. And these are the things that we're going to look at today in our text. Look with me at our main scripture, our main verse today, which is verse 47. And back up just a few words into the end of verse 46. It says, they had glad and generous hearts. And then it says in 47, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. You know, when I, I read that again this week, the Lord laid on my heart Psalm 100. And I just kept thinking that, look, there's a pattern here. There's a pattern that we see in this early church that they were grateful, they were thankful, and then right after they were thankful, they praised God. That's exactly the same pattern that the writer in the Psalms says that we should have. Look, Psalm 100, verse 4, look what it says. Enter his gates with what? Thanksgiving. And his courts with praise. Give thanks to him, bless his name. There's a pattern that the psalmist has given. There's a pattern we see in the early church that before we can praise, we've got to be a grateful and thankful people. He says, enter his gates, which is the outside of the temple area, right? As we're coming in, enter his gates, the outside with thanksgiving, but when you come into his courts, then we can praise. But can we truly effectively praise the Lord if we're not a grateful people? I don't think so. If we're not thankful, if we don't recognize all that God has done and all that he's doing in our lives. So uh, here's the first thing I want us to talk about. What does it mean for us to be a people of praise like we see in this early church? Um, well, I think we have to be thankful. They're a thankful and grateful people. And you know, some of you ask, well, what, how do you do that? What, what leads us to that? Man, just think about the food in your stomach. <laughs> I have a, it's kind of a funny example, but lately in the last couple of years, when we go to get groceries, no kidding, we go to get groceries and we bring them home and we're, now we're wiping them off and doing all that sort of stuff and putting them in, the, in the, you know, the fridge and stuff. I just have this overwhelming sense of thankfulness. It's this very tangible provision of God in my life. It may seem silly, I don't know, to you, but when I sense that God has given us these Cheerios and this wonderful thing of coffee, praise God, from on high for coffee. He's a good God. But when you think about all this provision, man, it ought to lead you to gratefulness. It ought to lead you to, to praise. You know, when we praise God with our lives, it just means we live with an awareness of God's goodness. It means we just walk around day after day and we understand that what, what it means is we're responding to God. He's been good to us and he's given us breath in our lungs. It's your breath in our lungs. So we pour out our what? Because of what he's given, we respond. We have to be a people of response. That's what worship is, that's what praise is, is when we respond to God. What has he given you? What has he done in you? How has he blessed you? What has God shown you? And what's your response to those things? Is it, hmm, I didn't really even notice. Or is it, Lord, you gave me Cheerios, right? Thank you for your provision, your goodness, your kindness. And I even started talking about what he's done in Jesus, right? It's one thing to have food on your table. It's another for your soul to be saved from hell. Are we grateful? Are we thankful? And does it lead us to praise? This is what I think a people of praise ought to do. Number one, I think they acknowledge who God is. To be a people of praise, we need to just acknowledge, first of all, who he is. 
Notice that this church is a church full of Jewish people in Acts 2, right? And in the Jewish faith, there's, there's always this talk of this lineage, this heritage. They use this phrase a lot, God of our fathers, right? You can just sense the, the history. God of our fathers, uh, uh, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, these are the fathers of the Jewish faith. And so there's this sense of lineage. In fact, when uh, these wonderful brothers begin to try and tell people about the Messiah, Jesus, they begin to start making a connection to who God is. Peter at, at uh, Pentecost, right off the bat, he says, men of Israel. In other words, men who believe this Jewish faith and we understand this lineage, right? Stephen in Acts 7 begins to share with them about their connected faith of their fathers and the, that the fact that they missed prophets of old and they've missed the Messiah. Paul, every synagogue that he goes into, he tries to make this connection to Jewish faith and this, this Messiah. Look with me. I want to show you some of these. Acts 2, verse 22, Paul, uh, Peter says in the message at Pentecost, men of Israel, right? Men of a Jewish faith who are here celebrating Pentecost. He says, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Later in his message, he calls them brothers, right? This is this connectedness. A little bit later, he says, let all the house of Israel know to be a people of praise, we acknowledge who God is. And these pastors, these preachers, are trying to make a, a connection to who God is, the God of the Israel nation, of, of the Jewish faith, who has uh, prophesied time after time again of this coming Messiah that's gonna change everything, and they missed it. Part of being a people of praise is acknowledging who God is. I think there's another piece of it that uh, we see. God breaks into their reality through miracles, right? And there's a reason that says they were all filled with awe. When God begins to do un unbelievable miracles, right, they're filled with awe. God was breaking into their reality. We see it at Pentecost, right? We see it in the lives of the apostles in their ministry. But there's also a sense of the movement of God. We talked about this last week. When you're a part of something and all of a sudden you realize, hey man, there's a hundred of us. Maybe there's about a hundred of us in here today, maybe. There's about a hundred of us. We're disciples. And then overnight you go to 3,000 and you become a megachurch. And then a week later, you, all of a sudden you got 8,000 and then 20,000. You can't help but step back and go, this is bigger than me, Right? This is, God's doing something I can't explain. He's broken into the reality of my life and of our church. And that's what they saw. They acknowledged who God was and what he was doing. There was a personal aspect, right? I think these people who were Jewish in nature, very religious in nature, hadn't experienced the personal nature of, of God. They did the rote things they were supposed to do, but now Jesus had come into the world and they had accepted him as savior and he has changed their lives, right? So there was a personal aspect of, man, I'm changed. Can I just tell you, uh, there's something different about me than there, than there was back early in my life? Anybody who knew me then and knows me now will be able to tell you, I, and I know me the best, <laughs> and I can tell you, I'm not perfect, I make mistakes. I, I'm, I, I'm so many mistakes. But God has changed my life. And I acknowledge who he is and what he's done through my life because I'm not the same anymore. What even about the fact that Jesus is who he said he was? We acknowledge uh, who God is by even Jesus saying, this is who I am. John 2, 18, this is where Jesus is going to prophesy his death and resurrection. He says, so the Jews said to him, what sign do you show us for doing these things. Jesus answered them, destroy this temple. And in three days, I'll raise it up. The Jews then said, it's taken 46 years to build this temple. And will you raise it up in three days? But Jesus, he was speaking of the temple of his body. 
When therefore he raised from the dead, uh, when he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. To be a people of praise, we have to acknowledge who God is, that he does what he says he's going to do. Amen? That's what Jesus did. He laid out there, this is going to happen, and it's exactly what he did. This is what I want to ask us this morning about being a people of praise. Do you believe Jesus is who he said he is? You know, we just sang that song, I believe. Well, is that true of your life? Do you acknowledge him breaking into your reality? Is there some miracle that you can't deny? Maybe it happened in your family, it happened in your life, or it's happening now in some way, and you have to go, God, I, I can't deny this. You're acknowledging who God is in your own personal experience, in the movement of God, around friends, around family, in our church. Do you believe these things? Do you live a life of praise? Are you a person of praise, acknowledging who God is? Well, there's another aspect to being a people of praise, and that is that we acknowledge not only who God is, but what God has done. Very quickly, I want to look in this text, when it says they, had great, they were grateful, glad, and generous hearts, when it says that they were uh, so blessed, right? They had favor. They were, God was doing so many things. Just look at that one text in Acts 2. God had saved them from their sins. He had given them a family to walk life with, to grow with. He'd given them access through Jesus. He had shown them his presence and his power. He had unified them together. He had met their needs. He was growing them as disciples. He had given them joy. I mentioned this, I think, last week. I'm, you're going to hear me mention this a lot. Can I just tell you, you may be searching for something in your life. You may be searching for more money in your job or contentment in your, your better half, <laughs> or whatever the case may be. Maybe there's a dream you're going after or a hobby you love. Can I tell you, nothing will satisfy your life. Nothing but Jesus. You can hunt, you can, you can search, you can seek, and it will all leave you empty. But if you will seek Jesus, he says, seek and find. You'll find him. Draw near and he'll draw near to you. And he will satisfy your life. I don't know how many people I know that are my age or older. They're just unsatisfied. They're sad. They're depressed. They're struggling. The lady that came through the pantry, I told you about her last week, she said, I'm depressed. She's 80-something years old. She's depressed. It just breaks my heart. Not that Christians don't walk through depression. Not that Christians don't have difficult times. Don't hear me saying that. But we have a hope that will break into the depression. We have a hope that will change our outlook and our perspective because of Jesus. People of praise acknowledge who God is and what he's done. And then, and then this text says that we ought to be a people with favor. A people with favor. And I'm not talking about people in the church, because if, right, if you sacrificed me, you sold your house, and now I get to not be a slave, maybe you've paid my debt in some way, man, I'm, you're going to have favor with me, right? He's not talking about the church people having favor with one another because of gifts or kindness. He's talking about favor outside of the church. They had favor with all people. You know, I said this earlier that sometimes Christians... We ought to be a weird people. Peter says, he uses different language in different translations. Peculiar people may be in your translation, right? Um, Peter, Peter talks about the fact that, that, that we really don't belong here. We ought to be so weird as Christians in a sense that we just don't fit in, right? When people, everybody's telling the joke and it's not a God-honoring thing and you're just like, I, I don't, I don't, that's not for me. Right? Or, or whatever the case may be, when, when your tribe is going in a direction, you're like, I can't do that anymore. I'm, you know, what's, a, what's a weird guy, right? Why, why, do we, why do we need to be different? Why do we need to be separate? Because we represent a holy God in a fallen world. That's going to be weird. 
It's going to be strange. It's going to be peculiar. In fact, people who have favor with the world as Christians, the first thing you need to know is it's not because we compromise. We, we stand out for a reason. People ought to go, that guy's a Christian, and man, he's the hardest worker I know. Right? It ought to be, there's a difference in our lives. And on top of the fact that we believe in Jesus and we represent Jesus with who we are, there ought to be some, some things that make us different. Man, that guy's so quick to apologize. I can't believe how giving she is. And she's the one hurting. We ought to be a peculiar people, different. We ought to be a people who bring God glory, not reproach. I struggle with this. And, you know, Facebook opens all of our lives, good and bad, doesn't it? Because <laughs> some of us are okay saying, man, I love God, I follow God, and then the next minute we do another post, and it's very clearly we don't love God, right? We say one thing, and then we do another, and the whole world's going, what? Didn't you just say a verse? Didn't you just say something about Jesus? And now you just said that word? And now you just called this guy that? I, listen, let's not, let's not confuse the world with who we are and what we love. May we be consistent in our lives. So when we say this is who we are as Christ followers, our lives defend it. Our lives back it up. This is who we are. And every day of my life is going to prove it. I'm going to make mistakes. But let that be the exception and not the rule. Let my life live up to the fact that I say I believe in Jesus and I follow him with my life. People who are a people with favor also are selfless. They're not self-seeking. They give. They continue to give over and over again all that they can. They're compassionate to those in need. They're humble. They're kind. That's what a people with favor does. I love, you know, I love history. I'm always watching the History Channel. I found this uh, little wonderful little quote from a guy by the name of Aristides. He's writing a letter to the Emperor Hadrian in 125. This is only 50, 70 years like, uh, uh, removed from this Acts church. Okay? So there's this Acts church, and then 50 or 60, 75 years later, this guy, uh, Aristides, writes this letter to the emperor Hadrian in 125. This is what he says about Christians. He's giving a description of Christians. Let me ask you this question before I even read it. See if this would be the same letter that would be written about us. Okay, here we go. If one or other of them have bondmen or bondwomen, that's slaves, or children, through love towards them, they persuade them to become Christians. And when they have done so, they call them brethren without distinction. They do not worship strange gods, and they go their, uh, their way in all modesty and cheerfulness. Falsehood is not found among them, and they love one another. And from widows, they do not turn away their esteem. And they deliver the orphan from him who treats him harshly. And he who has gives to him who has not without boasting. And when they see a stranger, they take him into their homes and rejoice over him as a very brother. For they do not call them brethren after the flesh, but brethren after the spirit and in God. And whenever one of these poor passes from the world, each one of them according to his ability gives heed to him and carefully sees to his burial. And if they hear that one of their number is in prison or afflicted on account of the name of their Messiah, all of them anxiously minister to his necessity. And if it is possible to redeem him, they set him free. And if there, listen to this, if there is among them any that is poor and needy, and if they have no spare food, they fast two or three days in order to supply the needy their lack of food. Could the same thing be written of you? Could the same thing be written of me? To be a people of favor means we gotta make a difference in this world. We gotta look different. We gotta be weird. We can't look like everybody else. We can't blend in with everyone else. There's something that's gotta be different about our lives and it's gotta be a blessing to people. Another historical account, this is uh, in the mid 300s, uh, Emperor Julian, 
tried to stop Christianity. And he said that the reason Christians were growing the, as fast as they were was because of their charity to the poor. The impious uh, Galileans not only feed their own poor, but ours as well, welcoming them to their agape. They attract them as children are attracted with cakes. All right? He's mad. Christians are not only feeding their poor, they're feeding everybody's poor. They're they're not just helping their own, they're, they're helping everyone. And he says it's almost like dangling candy out in front of kids. Yeah, because people have needs and they feel loved when their needs are met. People who have favor honor those in authority. Even if they disagree with them, even if they're being persecuted by them. Listen, big week this week, isn't it? Big week, on a big day on Tuesday. And it's possible that your candidate is going to lose. It doesn't matter who will be president. God's word has called us as Christians to be a people with favor. And that means that we honor the one who is leading us. That's what the word says. It means that we respect, that we speak no evil of the of our leaders. That's what the Bible says. Take a look at Romans 13. Take a look at 1 Peter 2. Take a look at Titus chapter 3. And you will see consistency in how we're to honor those who, who rule us and lead us. Governing authorities. You know, I, uh, I don't like, to, I tell you, I say this, I give this disclaimer every time I say something. Uh, I don't like to get in little tiffs on Facebook or whatever, you know. But I've been watching this brother. He's a guy that I'm kind of acquaintance with. He's a believer in Jesus. He's got his doctorate. He's a very educated man. But I watched him run down the president of the United States over and over again. And again, whether you agree with him or not, it doesn't matter, according to Scripture. And I just suggested, hey, man, I, I feel like you are, uh, you're not honoring this, lead, this governing, governing leader. And I'm worried about your witness as a result. Like, I think you need to maybe pull that back. He didn't agree with me, right? Um, But that's not something that a Christian ought to do. We shouldn't run down governmental authorities, regardless of how we feel about them. We should honor them. One of those texts even says, let no one speak evil of them. It'll be weird, right, if you do that. (laughs) Peter calls those who are different Christians, different than this world, aliens, strangers, they don't fit in this world, exiles, sojourners. Look at 1 Peter chapter 2. I want to run down a few scriptures that talk about us being a people with favor. 1 Peter 2.10 says, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Let people see your life and not even be able to have an argument because of how you live, because of the good that you do. Colossians 4, 5, and 6, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Listen to this. Let your speech always be gracious, except in an election year. Oh, no, that's not in there. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. That's how we treat people outside of our faith. Galatians 6.10, we read this the other day. So then as we have opportunity, let us do good to who? Everyone. But especially to those who are the household of faith. Uh, Paul writes to Timothy about the qualifications of an elder. And, and actually just qualifications of an elder are just kind of what godly men, how they ought to live, right? First Timothy 3, 7. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders. so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. He must be well thought of. God's called us to be a people of praise. 
He's called us to be a people with favor, not just the family, everyone, serving, loving, doing good. Not for selfish gain, but for God's glory. Meeting people's needs selflessly so that people see those good works and honor God in heaven. That's what the Bible says, right? And then thirdly and lastly here, God's called us to be a people on mission. I love this last phrase of this text. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being, what? Saved. Saved. The first thing you have to acknowledge is, how did, they, how did they get saved? Was it Peter's incredible message? No. Was it all these beautiful things in the church? No. Look, it says it right there. And the what? Lord added. The Lord added to their number. That's who gives addition in salvation. It's only Jesus can do that. We can't do that. But the beauty of God's system that he's put in place, he's the only one who can save, but the system he's put in place is that he involves you and me. I don't understand it completely, but this is the system God has put in place. He saves and he asks us to be his conduit of grace. He asks us to be his ambassadors of reconciliation. He asks us to go and be his hands and feet. Romans 10, 14 says, how will they call on him who, in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? God's system is to use us to speak. Verse 15, and how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Only God can save a soul. And John 6.40 says, John 6.44 says, only the Father can draw someone to himself. So that's all God's work. But in his economy, in his design, he uses us. We get that privilege. And we should feel that weight. I want to say that again. We get that privilege and we should feel that weight. God wants to use us to make him known. People who are on mission acknowledge that there are people in, in our lives, people in the world who don't know Jesus. We have to acknowledge that. We have to realize that hell is a real place, and for those who don't know Jesus as their savior, that will be where they go, apart from his saving grace and mercy. That's called having an, an eternal perspective. So when you go to lunch today over here, when you go to dinner somewhere, when you go out someplace to Sam's and Walmart and you're looking around and you're thinking, there's two types of people in here, people who know Jesus and people who don't. God give us eternally perspective mindsets and hearts to be able to, to, to have passion, compassion, that we would share, that we would speak truth. But there's also an earthly kind of perspective like I talked about a minute ago. There are people who try to fill their lives with so many things. They'll try and fill their lives with all this stuff and it never satisfies. So if people on mission aren't afraid to represent Christ in our lives to tell others in the world about him. Because there are people filling their lives with stuff. It's an earthly perspective and an eternal perspective. But we shouldn't be afraid to share Jesus with people. You know, I, I, the Bible says that we, we share as a witness in other words, we just share our story. We tell our story. You don't have to be some apologist, some great uh, evangelist, some great theologian to explain the saving work of Jesus. You just got to go, dude, I got to be honest with you. I was a mess and God changed my life. I was an alcoholic. God changed my life. I was this. God changed my life. I was that. God changed my life. And he can change your cir circumstance. He can change your situation. He can change your heart. That's what telling our story does. I love the way that Paul speaks about our testimony to Titus, uh, chapter 3, verse 3, when he says, for we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us. Not because of works done by, by us in righteousness, but according 
to his own mercy by washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Paul's saying, we were all a mess. These are the things we did, and look what God did when, when the Holy Spirit revealed Jesus to our hearts and washed us and regenerated us and renewed us by his Spirit. People who are a people on mission don't forget who they were. They know that they've been changed by the grace of Jesus, and they see people around them with an eternal perspective and see people in need of a Savior. Listen, if you're like me, you know that if he can save me, he can save anybody. He can save anybody. I don't care what you've done or where you've been or what you feel or believe even in this moment. God can save you. He loves you. You know, a people on mission have to be intentional, not passive. We have to be intentional. It's got to be, we have to be intending to be on mission, right? It's not going to happen by accident. Nobody's going to bump into you at Kroger and go, oh, wow, I see. Yeah, okay, would you tell me about Jesus? It's not going to happen. You have to go, you know what? I'm going to try and find conversations. I'm going to have to, I want to pray. I want to seek the Lord. See, if John 6.44 is, is the truth about God, only God drawing someone, we need to be uh, less uh, this way and more this way. We need to be praying that God would open up opportunities for us to speak the truth into people's lives. And that when we have that opportunity, he's prepared their heart. And that God may do something incredible. I've got a friend who's a pastor in Conway. I've just been noticing the last couple of days in social media, he's just got this fire for, for witnessing. And he's been going to places and just telling people about Jesus. He's seen four or five people come to know Christ. I'm like, awesome. I, I need to have a little what you're having. You know, it's like, this is amazing. We, we need to be intentional about telling people about Jesus, not passive. And living missionally means that we've just got to have an, an, an eternal perspective. It also means that we can't let our personality get in the way. We've talked about this. I am an introvert. But guess what is greater than my introversion? Jesus. And so I'm here standing before you as an introvert telling you about Jesus because nothing matters more than him. God uses even those of us that would never go, thou, nuh-uh, that's not me. God, it doesn't matter. I don't matter. I'm crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Do whatever you want with my life. Let me live or let me die, but let me stand for Jesus and let people see that in my life. That's what our heart has to be. And we have to be obedient to Jesus. He said, make disciples. Are we? God gives us a heart to make disciples. In doing so, can I just tell you, we got to be a ready people. Not going to happen by accident, and it's not going to happen if you're not ready. Peter says this, 1 Peter 3, 15. He says, in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. Watch this. Always being what? Prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. Are you prepared to be a people on mission? We got to be prepared. We got to be ready. We got to know what it is we're going to say, how the conversation, how it's going to start, and where we're going to lead people, and, and how we're going to lead them to Jesus. Would you be able to do that today? And if not, get ready. Get ready. Here's some things that I think will help you. Take these three things down. We're going to close in just a minute. Number one, share your story. Share your story. It's easy to share who you weren't, who you were, the mistakes in your life, and then share what God has done. Number two, know the word. Know the Bible. Be able to articulate the truths of the word of God. Know those specific verses that lead people, that like the ones in Romans, like others in Ephesians. Know those, those specific verses that lead people to Christ. And then make it simple. You know, I love this little system. Uh, I learned about it a long, long time ago, but it's just, it's the ABCs. 
It's easy as one, two, three. It's ABCs, right? ABCs. Well, that's easy. Number one, help people to understand they need to admit that they're sinners. We just admit, God, I agree with you that I'm a sinner and I have no hope apart from Christ. I have to admit that. B, they need to believe in Jesus, that he died for them and God raised him on the third day. They need to admit their sins. They need to believe in Jesus. And number three, they need to confess, see, with their hearts. It's the ABCs. It's as simple as ABC. Share your story. Know the verses to take them through and give them the simple truth of the gospel. People were being saved day by day. I love that verse. Day by day. Can I tell you this is only going to happen if people are living with daily missional awareness. Don't you know this people in this Jerusalem church were going to tell everybody they knew, have you seen what God's done? You're not going to, I mean, you know, Billy, the guy with the broken leg, he's sat there his whole life. Dude, grew a new leg in front of the whole temple, right? I mean, they're, they're, they're telling people, look at all that God has done. Look at what is happening. You, you knew me. Look, I'm different. It can only happen with a missional awareness. It can only happen if God is drawing people. So let us be praying that God would draw people. And it can only happen, listen to this, it can only happen if God's people open their mouths as witnesses. It can only happen if God's people open their lives as authentic. And it can only happen if God's people open their homes as hospitable. That's who God's people are. You know, this story is a, I, I like it when we read this, these few verses, these six verses or whatever. It starts with 3,000 people being saved at Pentecost, and the very end says, and they added to their number day by day those who were being saved. There's this cyclical uh, recurring piece, and day by day means, means that it didn't happen at the end. It means that it's happening every single day. That's what ought to happen in our lives. That's what ought to happen in our church. There's just an ongoing missional awareness. People are coming to Jesus. We're becoming the disciples. We're becoming. God's doing a work in us. That's what he wants to see in his church. Are you a people of praise? Do you live with an acknowledgement of who God is and what he's done? Grateful. Are we a people with favor? We're weird people. A people that don't look like everybody else, but that represent Jesus. We bring glory to his name, not dishonor. People want to be around us because of how kind, how loving, how giving. They see Jesus in us. And are we a people on mission saying, God, nothing matters in my life but to make you known. Help me to share my story. Help me to know your word. Help me to make it simple for people. That's, I think, what God wants his people to be, right? I'm going to give you four things before we go, and then I'm going to pray. Here, this is, uh, I think, a, a very practical thing. I want you to think about somebody right now that doesn't know Jesus. Would you do that? Is there somebody in your life that doesn't know Christ? Somebody in your neighborhood? Is there somebody at your work? Somebody that doesn't know Christ? Here's what I want us to do. Four things. Number one. Pray. Pray for them. If God draws them, then let's pray that God would draw them. Right? Pray. Give that to the Lord. Earnestly seek him for their salvation. Number two, serve. Man, is there anything I can do? Can I, can I help? Can I be selfless? Can I honor you? Can I, can I bring you guys something when there's a sickness? Whatever the case may be, pray for them and serve them. There's nothing like loving people by serving them. And then, it sounds kind of obvious, but speak to them. Be intentional. Speak words of hope. Speak the gospel to them. Hey, have you ever thought about the church or thought about a relationship with God? Well, have, you, have you ever been to church? Let these conversations be missional. And at some point, you might even just invite them. Invite them to your city group where they can connect in relationship with other people. It's a great first step. Let them meet real people who are not perfect and, and as much of a mess as you are, as they are. And just connect and talk. Spend life 
or invite them to a service. Invite them, most importantly, into your life. It's not about a building or a service. It's about connection, relational connection with people. And by God's grace, you'll see the miracle, the greatest miracle there is, and that is the miracle of salvation, that God would save someone. That's our prayer. Lord, add to our number. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would add to our number. God, it feels, I don't know, it feels strange to even pray that you would add to our number day by day. But you could do it. God, you could do it. Lord, there's enough people right now within the sound of my voice in this room and listening online that if we got serious about being a people on mission, there's no telling what you would do in our communities and in our city. But God, it can't just be a a sales pitch. We have to be a people who live a life of praise. We have to be a people who are different, that are a blessing to our communities and to our world. And we've got to be intentional and realize that hell is real and people are going there left and right because we won't open our mouths and open our lives. God, forgive us and burden us today with what's burdening your heart that people come to know you, Jesus. Help us open our mouths, open our lives, open our homes. Give us the courage in your spirit to make a difference. Life is so short. It's so short. God, may we spend the time you've given us making you known and being the people of God you've called us to be. That is our prayer as a church. Lord, we love you. We give you this time. Lord, if there's even anybody in this room right now that needs to know you, Jesus, would you draw them now? By the power of your Holy Spirit and in your grace, in Jesus' name. And God's people said, amen. Hey, can I ask you really quickly before we sing and before we celebrate all that Jesus is, can I ask you, do you know Jesus? Is there a doubt in your heart that you don't know Jesus? If there's something going on in your life and you've been asking this question, maybe I don't know Christ. Listen, I would love to share Jesus with you. I'll be standing up here. We're gonna sing a song. I'd love to share the greatest story, the greatest message, the greatest hope that we have in Christ if you don't know him. Please come see me. Come talk to one of our elders or another one of our leaders here in the church. That would be our prayer. And maybe maybe you're just struggling with some of the things we talked about today being that person. May God encourage us. May God give us hope. May he send us into this crazy week that we're about to enter, being a peculiar people, a people with favor, right? On mission, praising God. Stand with us and let's worship. I'm up here available if you need me.